All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Busted Header Podcast. I am Chris, aka Not the Fake Webby, and I am joined by Hal, aka Hal, aka Hal. What's up, Jake? I'm too tired to to have a response to that. Whatever that was, the record Jake skip. is very broken, <laughs> and I tried to replicate today. that in sound. It's not good. We're we're gonna power through a podcast here. Um, we're suffering in terms of. You know, our bodies as well as our eyes after having to watch two more Pistons games of just... <laughs> That's Dwayne Casey two... basketball, baby. That That is Dwayne Casey basketball, and especially in the Hawks game, without a whole lot of uh, star power on the Pistons front, to say the least. Yeah. Whew. That was a game to watch. All right. Uh, shall we get the news items out of the way first? Yep, go through it. Uh, so... Most of the noise is, as we suspected, Cade should be back for the uh, the Magic game uh, during Rivalry Day. Uh, should be a... Uh, it, we, we've had, I think, a couple different people kind of just say it out loud at this point. Um, he didn't travel on the road trip, so they're doing just about everything they can to get him there. Uh, and then the other piece of news is, oh no, we suck again. It, Shocking. That's just, uh, we're 0-3. So, I would have told you that before the season. Uh, we predicted <laughs> it pretty uh, obviously. I think we kind of hope yep. that Cade might like give you enough of an edge to not suck quite as much. But uh, yeah, uh, settle in for the tank. Um, yep. Especially, uh, we'll get. I guess we'll get into some things here going forward but if uh, certain decisions keep being made the way they're being made the the, uh, the tank is maybe even a little bit more aggressive than it was to start last year uh yeah i would yeah i'd say so <laughs> at least <laughs> there's there's been some stuff going on let's just say that um all right i'll let you kick us off here what, what was one of the things you want to talk about that we've seen this week so the first thing I wanted to start out with, at least a positive um, that I noticed, at least in the Hawks game, which was I liked how uh, aggressive we were in, in very much using active hands to get in the way of passes and to kind of break up some things, especially in kind of the, the first half against the Hawks. I feel like defensively we were pretty like locked in with them. We were especially in the first quarter we were playing pretty you know lock and step, trying to you know cover them defensively, which is something that this team that does not have a whole lot of great scorers at this time, is going to need <laughs> if they want to you know, keep these games close and entertaining. Um, so I just wanted to give a shout-out, uh, especially to Killian, who's had a bit of a rough start um, shooting the ball on the offensive end of the floor, but defensively, he's just exactly as advertised. He is all over the place. He's a menace for whoever he's guarding, and especially with his ability to jump into passing lanes, he's kind of creating a bit of a problem, um, even if he's not doing it on the offensive end yet. Yeah, he's... He, uh... He continues to be like a strange watch because he's really good on the ball. He is still by far the best piston um, when it comes to navigating screens. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of talk about like Trey Young kind of giving him the business. And, and like, I did not feel that way. Um, no, I didn't think that at all. I, I felt like, like Trey Young was, was going to get his. <laughs> right. And I like, I felt like he was doing his job. He was, he was trailing pretty tightly over screens. Uh, times when he wasn't tight almost always were like just either a ridiculously good screen or you know the occasional illegal screen um and we'll we can talk a little bit more about this some transition stuff here um because i want to get into it and it's something i highlighted a lot in my uh my twitter thread but uh 
at the same time, Killian's been like really bad off the ball. He's just really lost. Um, he has a habit of sinking at least one step too far in help defense and just like not being able to make rotations. Uh, I'm pretty mm-hmm. sure that's what's gotten him hooked off the floor a couple times so far. I, I still think that he's playing like winning defense. Like if you're a good point of attack defender, you change, you know, just how like floor geometry works even mm-hmm. more so than like almost every team plays a bad help defender. Like you just kind of, one of your players is going to be bad at it. So I almost feel like that's less of a negative, um, especially when you're usually the guy defending the ball. Um, and, uh, in the second half of that Hawks game, especially the Hawks were really doing their best to get Killian off of Trey. And that's where we really saw gaps open up and Trey really yeah. started to, to take advantage. That's um, where I got a little bit more comfortable. You could tell. Yeah. I wanted to talk quick about just like Isaiah Stewart has been really good. Um, mm-hmm. You know, his defense, when playing Trey Young and Clint Capella and getting the drop defense correct is just like an impossible task. And Stu has just been really good about not jumping, just being really mm-hmm. composed. Uh, he's he's been really good about keeping his hands active in a similar way to what Andre Drummond used to do, where he just like he makes you uncomfortable about just picking your your the ball up and going into a floater because you think he might steal it, and he you know we I used to joke that like you could not lob Andre Drummond like when he was <laughs> like really in shape especially because he just yeah when he, he was, was too, locked in he was, was too big yeah. uh, he almost always gave a little bit of like credit to himself as a like for, to his hands so he would play a little closer to the big than maybe like the perfect drop defense is i say perfect in air quotes for those of you who can't see my screen um <laughs> and like and andre would just trust that like i can be disruptive with my hands and then bet on myself to beat a lob in behind and Stu's doing the same stuff and he doesn't have quite as much vertical presence but he's yeah, been, he's not the same athlete that yeah, dre was but he's been capable they're definitely yeah, they're definitely uh, Isaiah's definitely filling in kind of a similar role, and defensively, like you've said, he's he's done a good job of being in the right place, especially on those pick and rolls that are so so common in today's game. And it was kind of a, I would say it wasn't necessarily like a, a giant worry. Like he wasn't gonna be, we didn't think he was gonna be Garza coming in. No, but he was still there was something where kind of a bigger center like that, you kind of wor- worried about him in the pick and roll with teams trying to go after him. And it looks like you know when they've tried to that he's done a great job of just kind of mucking up the waters and just making it that much harder for the offensive, like especially the point guard, to get where he wants. Yeah, so, we, we still haven't seen him. him do um, really anything outside of drop stuff. You know, we haven't really seen what the hedging or, um, you know, even even some of the, like, funkier drops, like the ice coverage and stuff. We don't really see him participate in that quite as much. But when it comes to just being a straight middle drop, he's been awesome Dating back to last year, uh, he's a great post defender. He's just really immovable. We saw that against uh, Vooch two games in a row. So he's been really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, while we're here, though, we got to flip this around and talk about the negatives. And holy fuck, the Pistons' transition defense is a goddamn calamity. <laughs> it, it's, it, I have like seven clips in the thread from last night. What is it last night, two nights ago? Two nights ago. We're recording this on Wednesday. So I have like yep. 
multiple clips from the Hawks game where like one of them, Killian Hayes is defending, I think it's, it's either Herter or Bogdanovich. It's the white shooter, one of the white shooters. <laughs> and it's, it's in transition and he's defending the right corner of the floor. I think it's Herter. No one else is on the fucking right side of the floor except for Kevin Herter in the corner and Trey Young on like the right break with the ball. Nobody matched up to Trey Young. Every piston, I think, in this clip is is across the line of uh, across the mid court line. No- I don't watch many Hawks games. Is, is Trey Young good at shooting the basketball? He might be. He might be really good. It's it's just uh, we we talked about this just uh, in the second quarter, and then really in the second half, the Hawks were really good about getting Killian Hayes off of Trey Young. And I don't know how much uh, Dwayne Casey was also just putting other guys on him, but like. Mm-hmm. He was way more comfortable with Josh, uh, especially there were a couple times where Frank was on him, and that was awful. Uh, Hami really didn't have it. Sadiq didn't do it very well. Like, there's just a different level of separation around screens. But the transition matchups and the ability for the Hawks to just walk up the floor and have, like, Kelly Olenek on him <laughs> after, like, a simple transition action that would have been prevented if basically Kelly Olenek like called out, Hey, there's going to be a switch here. Like basic lacks of lacking in communication, uh, a lack of, of matchup awareness. um, Just really bad. This was an issue last year as well. It's like the easiest thing in the world to clean up. You run Mm -hmm. hard in transition you match up as best you can, like for like, and for the love of God, you put a body on the ball early. The ball should not be crossing half court without you knowing exactly who is defending the ball. And there have been other times where, like, it's a, a 2v2 in um, in transition and, like, the Pistons get lobbed on because the guy, defend like, uh, a ball handler will be coming down the left um They'll have a, a wing streaking down the right, and the Pistons will have like Isaiah Stewart and somebody guarding the wing. And so Isaiah Stewart sinks to the the rim because he's a big, and that's what he thinks he should do. And the wing pat uh, the wing defender will like pass off the wing and go defend someone else. And then the ball handler gets like a wide open, th- and it's just like, what is that? What is this logic? None of this makes sense, and it's happening consistently enough that I don't understand if there is a schematic emphasis that. Dwayne Casey is putting out there where he's like, Hey, you need to make sure that you, you go do this. And guys just aren't, it's not clicked yet. This was there last year. And that's frustrating. That's really frustrating. Transition defense should be a gimme. You shouldn't, you know, it's mostly about effort and a little bit of awareness. Um, The Hawks are one of the best teams in the league at, uh, like semi-transition and getting into their offense really early with like early drag screens. And uh, they, they love to set um, two really high staggered screens um, like with 20 seconds on the clock so that Trey can just come down and weave his way around. And that's how they really started to shake Killian was just like, Hey, you don't even get a chance to establish a defense because your big isn't in place yet. Um, mm-hmm. But still you, you have to be better. And uh, the, it's this has been a trend. The Hawks are, again, one of the best teams in the league at making it obvious that you have a problem, but the Pistons have a problem. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of that is just 
like you said, I don't know if it's a scheme thing. I really doubt it specifically comes down to scheming away from, you know, the person bringing the ball up the court because that's something you learn, like, in middle school is the guy that comes up the court on a fast break, <laughs> you're supposed to stop the ball. You stop ball, and then you cover the guys after that. Yeah. That's, the, the, like, the first thing you learn <laughs> about transition defense. So, I mean, I don't – the the Hawks are a tough team, but it's not like this is – we were playing, you know, second night of a back-to-back or three out of – three games and four nights kind of thing where the team is tired. They don't really, they kind of don't want to go out of that. Like we already had, uh, you know, uh, Jeremy Grant, he sat out the game. Like we have some other people that were kind of stepping up and getting more minutes. So if it's like a, it's the third I, game of the year. Yeah, I don't it think be it's like an a tired thing. thing. It's it, like, I, it's just a yeah. decision making thing where, and an awareness thing. And it's like, didn't you guys do a walkthrough where you were, where, you yeah. know, like, um, and I mean, they did make some adjustments. Like there's, there's one where, um, they have a big man, they have a wing and they have Trey. And, uh, I think we saw Sadiq Bay guarding the wing, uh, Kevin Herter usually, and, uh, maybe Kelly guarding the big man. And what they would do is the wing would cut in between the big man and Trey and kind of like force a switch. Um, and they do this early again with 20 seconds on the clock. So Trey's coming down the court and a wing just kind of drifts in front of him, like into Killian's path. And, it, and what we saw, uh, was like Bay would jump switch it and like, they were making these adjustments and, and that just, again, reinforces like they made these adjustments when they were down in transition, ready to defend the play, right? When their defense was set mm-hmm. while the Hawks were still transitioning. And that's so important, and you just you got to do it right. Um, yeah. Did you have anything else you wanted to talk about uh, defensively? Defensively, not really. I mean, we got kind of my active hands was the okay. <laughs> the good at the top, so that was the main thing I wanted to talk about uh, defensively. Are you ready to move on to the offensive side of the floor? Um. Y- yeah. Let's uh, <laughs> how, where, where do we start with how like horrific this is? Because we mentioned it. This has been a lot of There's... bad basketball. And again, like, even with all the griping I just did, the Pistons' defense has not been the problem. Yeah, it's actually been a... They've been an average like defense from team. last year, but it's it's definitely improved since the following year. Which, <laughs> it's not saying a whole lot, but no. it's something. Considering there hasn't been that many change, changes of personnel, that's a good thing. Offensively, is it's brutal to watch. There are many stats we could probably go through individually. And kind of see the different metrics on how bad the Pistons are doing. I think the best uh, way to show how badly offensively the Pistons are playing um, is by looking at the three-point percentage. Yep. We are the worst in the league. Yep. And, of course, the most important... Like, in this era, three-point shooting is the most important it's ever been. Mm-hmm. We are the worst in the league by 6%. Yes. <laughs> There's no one else even close to us. We are shooting it as a team... 22% from three. Yeah. Which is just abysmal. Garish. Abysmal. Yeah. yeah. Like, like we're a professional NBA basketball team. Yeah. That is, you can't even make a quarter of the threes. Right. It is just, oh. And And <laughs> also can, important, it starts there. 29th in attempts. Yeah. So you're not, you're not putting it up. You're not defending it. Um. They are the best team in the league at preventing three-point attempts. So that's cool. Because teams have already won the game. They don't need to shoot threes. Well, they're, we they're, the they're running the guys the off the are... line. And, and, you know, that's just how they're 
they're built, but you know, it's it's nice. Uh, but again, Two you're games also against the Bulls helps that. I feel like you're only 17th in total field goal attempts, so you're just not getting up a lot of shots. You're 27th in overall field goal percentage. You're 21st in two point percentage, so you're not even dominating the rim. Uh, you're 27th in free throw attempt rate. Um, you're 21st in free throw percent. I I think that's more variance than uh, yeah. than anything else. Um, you know, you're, we're not rebounding well. 20th in total rebounds. Uh, 29th in assists. I think the 20. I think the assist numbers are being um, obscured by the field goal efficiency. I don't think the ball movement has been. How do I put this? It hasn't been incisive, right? I don't think the ball movement has created efficiency. Um, you know where where uh, the the passing is so good that the shots just like you know get like a dimer badge bonus in two K, right? You know, like it hasn't been <laughs> like that. I don't think it's been the most st- like I don't think anybody on the team is an unwilling passer, right? And I think Dwayne Casey wants theoretically guys to be passing but i think you also have a lot of guys who are not advanced read makers and killian's basically the only guy who's like playmaking first on the whole Mm -hmm. team except for Cade, who's injured like even Corey joseph is just kind of a weird like 50 50 and i just i don't think that they're putting people in positions to succeed right now i I think that's what it comes down to (laughs) Uh, I think there's no question about that. You know, way too many fucking post-ups. Just flat out, too many post-ups. Too many mid-post things for people like... uh, Excuse me, Jeremy Grant is uh, a good player and a good scorer and a relatively good ISO scorer. But Jeremy Grant doesn't need you to put him in the mid-post five times a game. He just doesn't need it. Uh, You know, Jeremy Grant taking a a pull-up, you know, mid-post fade... With 16 on the clock, he can make it at like 45%. Like he's he's really good when he gets a nice like good look, but that's not good offense. Why are we why are we running punch plays for Jeremy Grant in the mid post? It, it should just never happen, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, why are we running post ups for Kelly Olynyk? Like Kelly Olynyk post ups are the, you know they should be the result of you running other offense and it's eight seconds on the clock and you're like, all right, what's better? Killian taking a, you know, just a, an ISO drive and forcing something up or Kelly getting a post up on a point guard because you got to switch earlier. Ah, well, we'll go with Kelly. You don't run punch plays for Kelly Olenek. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Wait, why? You, you know, should... it's one thing uh, to start the second Bulls game with like a couple touches for Stu down low because he was like brutalizing Vooch last game, you know, in game one. So, like, yeah, you reward your big man, you give him a couple, but, like, you do it twice. They did it, like, five times. What are we doing? It just doesn't make any sense. there's way too much Kelly Olenek in that game. I don't know if it was just, you know, Jeremy Grant was out and we had to have someone take those shots, and they decided, all right, Kelly, you're up, but... Well, it's not a problem to feature Kelly as, like, he's a great offensive scorer. That's what, you know, he, he is good at that. But, like, you don't... He's not good because he's a good post up player. He's good because he's an elite shooter. So start running some pick and pops. You know, run, like the first play of the game, the first set play of the game against the Hawks. Um, at least I think it was the one against the Hawks. Yeah, because the, the Bulls too was, was Stu. And the one against the Hawks, 
Uh, they came down, and it was a, a post-up first for him because it was a transition mismatch, which is, like, fine. You get a mismatch in transition, mm-hmm. I guess, go for it. Um, the second one, they ran, like, floppy action for him. Fine. He's a good shooter. You run some floppy action for good shooters. Great. Uh, don't run floppy and then, like, post him up. Doesn't make sense. Um, you know, more high pick and rolls, please, for Killian. Just, like, we saw him get going in the Hawks game. It looked, like, really good for, like, five minutes. And yep. it's because he was running the pick and roll for himself with, like, without a mandate in that play to give it to somebody else. Because we keep running... Yes weird pick and rolls where it's a pick and roll again i'm air quoting free people but the pick and roll is actually setting up a punch play mm-hmm. the fuck's the point and setting a punch for jeremy grant on the side right it's like and uh this is one i put on my twitter and i think i put this one like on my main timeline too uh they uh killian comes down in transition and i can't remember exactly this the scenario but i know they had a spread floor and uh, Stu could have come up, set a screen, Killian would have been able to go left and go right down to the rim, except that Kelly fucking Olenek is posting up a mismatch with, like, 20 seconds on the clock. Not, like, rolling into a post-up mismatch either. Like, I just posted up Send a wing, and I'm calling for the ball. And, like, yep. I'm not mad at Kelly for wanting... For, like, you he should be hunting opportunities like that. I'm not mad at that. What I'm mad is that Dwayne Casey has made it okay for that to happen at that point in time. The mandate has to be that the good shooting center is in the corner spacing for the rest of the offense unless his mm-hmm. role in that set is to come do something else. Like it, it's just a fundamentally incorrect way to play modern basketball. Yeah. Yeah, and especially in today's game with the emphasis so much on the pick and roll and especially with the someone like Killian who needs to learn how to like get used to running a pick and roll in an NBA offense against NBA teams that's something that's more important than seeing Kelly post up a wing who he's not even like it's, it's <laughs> like Kelly is good at offense he's a good offensive player but it's still Kelly Olenek this isn't Nikola Jokic down in the post yeah. like we don't we don't need that especially for a team that's not trying to win basketball games they're trying to improve and get better and look down the road and that's more important for a Killian Hayes and a Kelly Olenek and I don't I know Dwayne of course is always going to say you got to kind of earn it we're gonna we're gonna do what's best for the team um, in terms of you know winning basketball games and all that kind of stuff, but at the same time, at a certain point, you got to find out what you got in these young guys. And right now, with you know Cade not playing yet, he's been hurt. This should be the time for Killian to get out there and get his reps and kind of lead that offense. And I don't, I kind of, I don't, I don't get why we're not doing more of that because yeah. he did look good in that Hawks game. He looked, well, he so, looked so a little bit more let's like let's advertised flip it over to the positive side there. Uh, two made threes out of three attempts. Um, Woo! They look good. His, I, I mm-hmm. think we can officially say that the leg kick he had, like the left leg swing, is pretty much gone. There's still a little bit of, like, exaggerated turn, especially when he's shooting pull-ups, but, like, it, it looks a lot better. And if that's all John Beeline, like, does as your coach is fix that one thing, then, like, it's worth having him on the team because that's a big change. 100%. <laughs> um, you know, Killian being able to hit 35% in catch-and-shoot situations, like, just being you know, Rajon Rondo in catch-and-shoot situations is going to be a big deal. Um, and then, yeah, he, he we had that, like, little stretch where he got legitimately aggressive and, like, mm-hmm. pulled up twice in mid-range and sunk both of them. And it was just like, right, yeah, there's, you know, the, you can see what having one go through the rim does for him. Yep. 
it just opens it up and he feels more comfortable in that second quarter like he looked a little bit he looked like why you pick put the seventh round pick on someone right or a seventh overall pick on him like he you could see the flashes you can really see why he's got the potential he does right and it's just there's just more concerns about what we're going to get out of him moving forward in terms of growth in terms of his opportunity to become a better basketball player that's what i'm worried about more than anything else right i think he's shown the flashes he just needs the opportunity and uh you know the the other interesting thing is like we're we are seeing some of these developmental moments like there are um they ran a spain pick and roll series once and uh two guys went with uh sadiq bay who was like the the back screener in the spain the third man and they left uh, Stu open on the roll, and Killian gets the lob, and everybody goes crazy. And then a couple plays later, um, they stick with Stu and Killian, and Sadiq is open, but Killian is already like going into his like push shot, floater shot, and Clint Capella, I think, gets a finger on it or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, these are the things where, like, that's a really important mistake to make because he has to learn... Like, this is where I slow down to open up this space and give myself a chance to hook this back over because Sadiq Bey is wide open at the three-point line. And he was so focused on, I got to get to the rim, I got to make a layup. He didn't make a read that we know he can make. Like, I, I know mm-hmm. he can make that pass. I know he can make that read if he's not focused on the layup. But this is the stuff that he has to learn. These are why you give him reps is so that he can go back and film and be like, fuck, I missed that. You know? Yep. And, the, and the important reps that he missed last year by having it being a you know, a shortened season without, like, as we keep saying, like, these reps are the most important thing for a young basketball player like yes. Killian, especially for someone who doesn't have the levels of experience. He didn't, he didn't have, you know, every single weekend playing AAU. He didn't, you know, like, go to a college and do, the like, a full college year. Like, he hasn't had the amount of the reps that, you know, some of these other players have had, especially, you know, at his young age. So we need more of that, and I'm... Well, and this is, this is why we say, you know... Uh, turnovers are not a bad thing for young point guards, right? Are you yeah. right? As long as you're getting turnovers because you're trying stuff, because mm-hmm. you have to learn how to measure the window somehow. And if you're, you know, just making laser passes right away, and you're like Luka Doncic, great. <laughs> you you just like you found like an MVP level playmaker, yeah. but like you, you got the cheat code. <laughs> everyone is really excited about Lamelo Ball. Lamelo Ball is making some wild mistakes on a regular basis but he's fun and he's learning at a rate mm-hmm. i frankly didn't like give him enough credit for and no one and no again, one really did honestly part of it is that Lamelo ball spent his entire childhood street balling against older players because he had older brothers that were really good and like you see how much that helped mm-hmm. you know it, it's how a, much it's it prepared a testament him to, be in the league, to yeah. you know to just getting reps and getting experience so yeah we and i mean i think a good example of that which i know some people that you know some of the the Michiganders will recognize this was uh, an example of that that I can think to would be Denzel Valentine when he got to Michigan State. The first year, year and a half, two years of him in Michigan State was so frustrating to watch because he would throw the ball everywhere, all over the place. He would try and do the craziest thing, and I'm sure it drove Tom Izzo insane. He he was but a for triple double, no assists. <laughs> yeah, it was. He would have the most beautiful pass and then just throw it over someone's head the next play. But you know what? That third year, and especially that fourth year, all of a sudden he he figured it out. He figured out, I can't throw this pass. It's not going to get there. He got used to the timing and used to the speed 
and caught up with the game, and all of a sudden he turned into one of the best playmakers in the country. Literally, that won is what the you need award, to have. Right? Yeah, I think he was think the top was uh, the college player that year. Winner, um, you know, and that's again, that's just like one of those things where, and obviously he has not been a great pro because he just like doesn't have the tools to take advantage of the new margins. He doesn't. He never had the athleticism, and, and, and he also has had injury problems. Right, as well. So many, so many injuries. But the thing is, right? Not that I'm invested. <laughs> he got so many reps that he learned the windows. Right, he learned all these little margins. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand the, timings, the margins, yeah. you're screwed. You know, and Killian, for example, only goes slow or only goes fast. And he needs to learn how to go fast and then go slow and then go fast again. Or go fast and go slow and make the path. Like, these are the things that we've got to learn now. And now is the time to learn them. Especially while Cade is out. Obviously, hopefully that won't mm-hmm. be for much longer. But that's what this season's for. By the way, Cade Cunningham is going to make the same fucking mistakes this year. <laughs> yeah, he is. Hopefully he makes less because he is a number one pick and he is, you know, that good. He's he's a very good player. But, like, Cade Cunningham had, like, six or, like, I think it was, like, four and a half assists to, like, four turnovers last year because he was trying shit. Now, mm-hmm. for him, it was mostly about, like, trying to force things into players who were just bad. Um, guys who literally would give him a turnover because they couldn't catch post entries. But, like, he's going to have turnovers. He's going to have mistakes. You can't hook guys for that and you have to empower them you know i don't think Cade needs um an offense built around him quite as specifically as killian does um you know obviously he's a good catch and shoot guy he's a guy who should be able to hit pull-ups we saw that in summer league um you know he's Mm. he's just a great connective player but again he will make bad reads he will drive into traffic and get the shit beat out of him by you know andre drummond in a bad night in philly because he just doesn't understand, you know, NBA spacing yet. It happens, right? Yep. And the NBA media is going to talk about how you know Evan Mobley was should be the number one pick. Oh, look at how good Jalen Green's doing. Because the point guard in the NBA, especially with the current skill set of the players that are in the NBA, is a tough position to learn, and it takes some time to get over that learning curve, like we've been saying. So, yeah, we got to remember that these are things that Killian needs to break through the process on, but these are things we're going to have to remember. We're going to go through with Cade as well. So right. and, uh, just I, sit back, relax and watch the process. I want to highlight something I tweeted earlier this week, which was uh, the stats for, for Killian's uh, last season of 26 games and Sadiq Bay's first 26 games inside the arc. And a lot of people will not believe you when you say this, Killian had finished better inside the arc and at a higher volume inside the arc than Sadiq did. Now, Sadiq was hitting threes, but if you remember, he was really bad at the rim to start last year. Yep. Couldn't figure out how to get, you know, how to get space, how to handle contact. Already this year, Sadiq Bey looks totally different in that regard, right? He looks so much more composed at the rim. He's making these sweeping finishes through a little bit of body contact. He's finishing in transition where he was blowing these bunnies last year. He got the reps. Right, he got the reps. It was we knew it was never about physicality, right? Sadiq Bay's built like a shit house. Uh, yeah. So it was just a question of like, how long is it going to take for him to figure out how to handle this and how to adjust and how to be, you know correct his balance and be a little more comfortable? Killian will make the same improvements, but again, Sadiq had like I, I'm guessing off the top of my head like 1600 minutes last year, and Killian had like 600. Uh, let's look at the numbers. Yeah, let's pull. Uh, let's, let's see. The numbers, Sadiq played 1,900 minutes, and Killian played 600, so 
I was right on 12 to 1300 so so like that's just that's a huge difference and it's a really important difference to just be getting up that many more shots defending that many more possessions trying that many more layups etc so um the last thing i wanted to touch on here is Corey joseph is also struggling frank jackson is also struggling and and, joe the tank commander here here's my thing though Corey joseph is in the league because he's extremely consistent and extremely competent not excellent, competent. Corey Joseph should be getting you the exact same like twelve six or like twelve three and six every night. Like that's the fact that he's mm-hmm. like absolutely shitting the bed right now reflects a lot more on what the team is being asked to do schematically than Corey Joseph the player. Mm-hmm. Like before, everyone gets too caught up in like some of this if it's, like some of the player performances. Like, Frank Jackson has looked awful so far. Yeah. I also think Frank Jackson has basically not had a good shot, like, all year, except for, like, two or three open threes. And I say all mm-hmm. year, like, it's not three games. But, like, <laughs> it just, everything looks like shit. And when everything looks bad, you have to ask your coach what the hell's going on. Cause, yeah. And, I mean, a little bit is they're going to be asked, like, this is not going to be a good basketball team. Both Frank and Kojo are going to be asked to do a little bit more than is probably like in their comfort zone i just think well, that like Kojo, they're yeah, running silly stuff <laughs> and they're you know some of yeah. the execution is bad some of the stuff doesn't look like it's and i don't know how much of it is like new installations but like some of their like the more complex sets you know they'll run an off ball screen and they'll run a, an on ball screen and they're just not timed right at all and it's like okay who's triggering this you know do you guys understand the way the geometry here is supposed to work i don't know but um you know, before people That's get too mad about the players, uh, I think there's either A, we have to ask what the hell Dwayne Casey's doing, or B, maybe he's adding new things and it just hasn't clicked yet. But, you know, it's it's definitely bigger than just, you know, one performance here or there. So Yeah. I think it's way too early in the season to place too much blame on anyone, but that being said, offensively, it, it is a train wreck in almost every regard. They're just in terms of like the offensive kind of sets we're running, I just I don't feel like we're getting that many open shots. I don't feel like we're getting you know matchups we want too often. You can put some of it down to personnel, but it has been just brutal to watch. Especially we get to play a team like the Hawks that do it kind of so effortlessly, and you get to see someone like Trey Young, and we hope that Cade Cunningham can kind of bring the same uh, you know skill set that a Trey Young has. So getting to watch that kind of juxtaposed to the Pistons is brutal, but. Yeah. At the same time, uh, we can ask a little bit more out of what we're currently getting, I think. <laughs> I think it's fair to say. Nate McMillan is the guy that's running one of the prettiest offenses in the NBA right now. <laughs> that's just a, a wild thing. All right. I was shocked when the Pacers hired Nate McMillan, and he's done nothing but surprise me since then. I made fun of that signing. And yeah, mea culpa. He's been, <laughs> he was phenomenal for the Pacers, and they've been a train wreck since he left until... I mean, we'll see how they do this year, but last year was just awful, and... He came to the Hawks and turned them around. So that's I don't know how much of it is get for hiring a guy named Bjorkren. It's just that's just not e- either a guy named Bjorkren is going to be the best basketball coach ever, or a guy who tries to choke a player. There's there's no middle ground there. Um, <laughs> the Pacers try to be the smartest man in the room, and sometimes that backfires. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about some of our uh, bigger picture things here. And I know you had a, a thing you wanted to bring up. So, mm-hmm. what was that? 
So one thing I want to talk about is in preparation for what we all believe this Saturday is going to be Cade Cunningham's season opener, career opener in the NBA. Um, I want to talk about kind of the fan mindset going into this game. And I know we've, we are, honestly, we already kind of touched on it a lot earlier. Uh, but I think a lot of the Pistons fans see Cade, and rightly so, as this kind of savior figure, as someone who's going to turn the franchise around, you know, the second he steps on the floor. And while I think we all hope that that's the case, and, you know, he's the number one pick for a reason, we have talked him up nonstop over the, you know, the past year, myself included, we also need to kind of relax our expectations for him starting out in the NBA. Like, unless you're LeBron James, you're not going to come into the league just fully formed, ready to go, just superstar out the gate. So I know there's been, especially in these past couple years, when Zion finally made his debut for the Pelicans, he was phenomenal. And some of these other, like, top picks, you know, John Morant, there's a lot of high expectations on kind of these, you know, top two or three picks. But um, just if I could tell the fan base anything, it's just to relax, let him make his mistakes, don't harp on it too much, he's going to... It may take some time to figure out. I don't expect him to walk in and be, you know, a top 30 NBA player, just to say, to start with. Like, it's going to take a pretty good amount of time for him to get comfortable, especially with this Pistons team around him that's not great. And especially I hear right now there's been a lot of talk about with the 76ers this year with all the Ben Simmons drama, everything that's going on with that, which is a whole whole can of worms you can (laughs) definitely get started on. But if you go... Back a little bit farther, you can remember the same thing kind of happened with Markel Fultz, who was another number one overall pick, came into the NBA with all the skills in the world, same as Cade. I think I like Cade more as a prospect, more than Markel Fultz. Yeah. But I don't want to. I don't want us to have the same mindset the Philly fans did, where you know Fultz came out and just he didn't look right. His jumper didn't look right. He didn't look comfortable. It in the 76ers fans just put so many hopes and expectations like. You're going to be the one to go with Embiid and Simmons and lead us to this title. And they put, I think, a little too much, they definitely put too much expectations on what they're going to get out of Markel Fultz. And I just I just want to caution the Pistons fans and caution, caution the Pistons faithful that, you know, Cade is going to have some growing pains. He's going to have some difficult times. Just let him work, let him relax, and see where this brings, see where this goes. Don't expect him to be you know, an all-star, the first year he's here. That's all. Yeah, and I just want to add, we're tanking. Like, yes. Just, just stop thinking anything else. You're, you're going to only do yourself harm. Like, uh, again, we I think we talked about this in an earlier pod, but, like, if Cade Cunningham has an incredible rookie season, it's really impactful, he's worth, like, six to eight wins. Like, that's what that kind of leap in a team is. And that's still the Pistons with like positioned like with the seventh worst record. You're just this team is not going to be good. The play in no. is the the play in would require like a ten game pace leap. Like that's you're just asking so much to put your hopes and dreams on that. And by the way, do you want the fourteenth pick in the draft? Like is that the <laughs> pathway you think? is going to take us to greatness. I just, um, you know, we, we said it earlier with killing it, but like, this is the time to make mistakes. This is the time to grow. You have this year with Killian and Cade and Sadiq and Stu and Hami and all these guys to get, you know, 
things figured out, you probably have next year with hopefully like a top five guy to, you know, add to that mix. And then you've got 2023. And we've talked briefly about this before, but that's when all the money opens up and everything becomes available. And that obviously that depends a little bit. There could be any kind of trade from now till then. And with yeah. Troy Weaver, nothing is <laughs> anything really is possible. Surprise me. Uh, nothing is all. off the table. <laughs> but uh, you know, we have a very obvious timeline that, like, you know, we've heard the beat writers talk about it. We've heard like this is not, um, it, it it's this this isn't like some genius thing that we're looking at a cap sheet like oh big brain twenty twenty three like. This is being planned. All the contracts are specifically being structured for uh, options and stuff to come up in 2023. The Pistons mm-hmm. do not care about winning right now beyond, you know, the soft factors it gets you. You know, the 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 emotional stability. You know, you, you don't want to be the team that goes 20 games without a win. That that hurts. But yep. <laughs> that's soul crushing. <laughs> let's just say that everyone in the organization knows right now that you know getting the third pick is better for this team than getting the 10th pick. They they all know that. Dwayne Casey got an extension. We've talked about, you know, that before, but a big part of Dwayne Casey getting that extension is Dwayne Casey being given the job security assurance he knows that he doesn't have to try and force bullshit every night trying to get a win to save his job, right? It's a it's a vote mm-hmm. of confidence from the front office that like, yes, you can participate in this tank. And by the way, we are tanking the fuck out of this season. Jeremy Grant is sitting with an elbow infection. <laughs> you know what? You can play with an elbow infection unless it's like literally MRSA. Like, I'm, if you if you like got like a, a rug burn and it like gets a little bit of like pus, you, you put an elbow pad on it and you go play basketball. If you really you care nice, about winning, and it, you he's put a nice wrap down. on it and you call it a day. Uh, <laughs> like. I, I just don't have any real belief that they are worried about wins. They shouldn't be. So just like as a fan, fine. Like just you, you have to, it's going to be like last year. And if you're willing to celebrate all the little baby steps we make along the way, great. If you're not, nobody's really going to blame you if you check out. Mm-hmm. Like you don't, nobody is forcing you to do this. Uh, I've said it before, but gatekeeping is stupid and, you know, while it's always going to feel a little more special when you finally win, if you were there for the, the bad bits, if you need to step away and, you know, go watch just like other basketball, nobody's going to care. Like, yeah. come back when you're ready. That's just don't force this. Don't add negativity to the to the system because you're, you know, struggling with this. Nobody's asking you to do that. Just mm-hmm. let it go. Uh, it's just go watch the box for a little bit. <laughs> like, uh, go watch. box basketball is not that fun to me. Go watch Warriors basketball because Warriors basketball is a perfect blend of talent and chaos. That's true. <laughs> go watch Nuggets basketball. Nuggets basketball is fun. I've just stumbled into like three, like all three of the Nuggets games this year. <laughs> ended up, they're at like a time slot when no one else is. So I'm always watching their games. How are your war or how are your Wizards doing? I should say. Not great. <laughs> well, I mean. Here's the thing. They made a lot of moves during the offseason, and I think a lot of them have turned out good, and I think they have a halfway decent basketball team. I think they're... They played tonight as well. I think they played the Celtics tonight. I think they'll be good. I think they'll be, you know, borderline 
playoff slash uh, play-in game team. But I, I love that you moved to a town with a basketball team with no history except for like West Unseld and like <laughs> one star on a team that's like pretty shit. And like you just traded one Detroit team for another Detroit team, except it doesn't have any like bad boys history to lean on. <laughs> you could the have, Pistons like, went all the way into the tank, like, and you I'm like, moved well, to we'll LA, you know, anywhere in California, and been like, I'm a Lakers fan now, and I would have been like, you scumbag, but also go have fun with your Lakers. But no, you became a Wizards fan. <laughs> I'm not Jamie. I, don't, I didn't. I didn't go to LA and become a Lakers fan. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, he also became a West Ham fan, though, so that's just... <laughs> it did balance out. It did balance <laughs> that, Only picked the right time. That process just made no sense, but okay, go Hammers, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, <sighs> what are we at? 45 minutes? Did we have another thing we wanted to talk about? I have my thing. I don't know if you had anything you brought to the table from your list that I definitely stole from. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, a brief mention here, I guess. Cade's going to be back probably by the next time we pod. Um, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. I'm assuming, I'm just guessing you're assuming too, he steps in as probably the nominal two guard. You're going to take Frank Jackson slash Josh Jackson out of that lineup, put them back with the bench unit. How much do you expect to see, um, like, Cade leading his own units without Killian or Kojo? I do not expect to see much of him without at least one of those two. I think between the three of them, they're going to probably get... Eh, I mean, I would say I would expect them to get a predominant amount of minutes together. I think if anyone's going to be playing by themselves, it'd probably be... Uh, I don't I don't know. The way Casey does the lineups, it might honestly be Kojo with a bench unit more than right. anything else. Yeah. So... That would be my. I do guess, you think? Do best you think guess? we see any of the like super jumbo lineups where it's like Cade and Sadiq and uh, oh. Jeremy Kelly Stew kind oh. of weirdness? Oh, I love that. As someone who loves weird big lineups, I love the idea of that. <laughs> Being able to throw out like what Sadiq is he the shortest one? Would be the shortest one in that lineup? Maybe he. It, it'd be him and. I think he and, and Cade are pretty close to each other. They're pretty close. I think Cade's kind of might have him by a little bit. I think Cade might have like an inch on him. I mean, the hair, is, hair probably is puts Cade ahead easily. Listed at. I think Sadiq's 6'7 list. Because that's Cade's Cade is what, listed 6'9 list? 6'6, six, 6'7. Six, six, hmm. um, I can't remember. And conversely, what do you think about, do you think we'll see like the super small stuff? Like the Killian, Kojo, Cade, Sadiq, Kelly kind of thing. That lineup, I wouldn't be surprised to see. Because that feels think, extremely Dwayne Casey to me. Yep, exactly. That was my point. <laughs> the, Throwing Kojo into a lineup where Kojo should not be. The, <laughs> that, the, that is what I expect. The, there will be like a random like four-minute stretch this season where we get Saban, Killian, Cade, and Kojo like all <laughs> in the same lineup for no reason. With like Jeremy Grant at center. Because like Jeremy some strange like, confluence happened? of fouls and situation just like made the gears turn a little bit and i just like i'm warning you it's gonna happen because we got like three guard lineups with like derrick rose and uh was it derrick and ish and something i can't i don't think i don't think those two overlapped but yeah it was rose and uh fuck the guy who's not on the hawks Uh, Don right Don right 
and Saban. I don't know. We we have like over the years we have gotten like we've definitely gotten like Reggie Jackson plus uh, Langston Galloway plus like random other small player like ish. Mm -hmm lineups and just he Ish, he loves yeah. his like extra point guardy for no reason lineups so i don't know i'm i'm yeah. i will be interested to see like whether Dwayne Casey they keep talking about him as a point guard and it'll be interesting to see whether Dwayne Casey sees him as a point guard who defends point guards and who plays point guard all the time or whether he sees him as like a point forward who's defending threes and fours and bringing the ball up a third of the time you know like where where is that in i would say i'd be confident that we'll see a good mix between the two i think kate has the ability to play point guard and even defend point guard i don't think it's where he will be best at i don't think it's where he'd be best used guarding point guards but i think we'll definitely see him starting nominally at point guard especially in these starting lineups i think it will be a lot of Cade at point guard on offense, but playing two guard on defense and Killian. Well, I'll say this: I think versa. I think that the defending twos and specifically defending movement shooters is the thing he is weakest at defensively. I think he's pretty good on the ball. He's very good um, in rotation around the rim. Uh, very good uh, like lurking in passing lanes. He has like really high hips and struggles to get around screens and stuff. So like chasing your JJ Redick type player you know, around a screen is probably the areas he's weakest in. Like uh, a Steph Curry kind of player would be like a real bad thing. Even someone like maybe a, uh, like a Bradley Beal would probably be a matchup. Like I would rather have Killian on a Bradley Beal than Cade right now. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Probably. Anyway, something to think about. Against the current Wizards, probably, you probably want Killian on him and put Cade on uh, Dimwinnie. Not to get too pedantic on it. But. I forgot Spencer Dinwiddie was a wizard. I know. He's phenomenal. I love him. I, I forgot that. <laughs> I'm happy I can root for him again. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so we'll see everybody after hate week. Um, we will be... I will be drunk and we'll, probably we'll miserable. We'll maybe like a Sunday <laughs> podcast. We will, we will likely both be drunk. Um, and I, I don't think... I don't think <laughs> one of us will be miserable. On the day. Because... That's oh, asking for a lot. So, like, maybe the Sunday after is uh, something to target. Uh, you know, loser buys a beer nope. next time you're in town. That's how this works. I think 100%. <laughs> and, uh, that I sounds think, good. I think with that, we'll see everybody in a week or so. Sounds Bye. Good. See you guys then. Let's go, Cade. Let's go, Michigan. Go Blue. Today's music was made by Blank and Kit. You can find a link to their music in the description.